Do you try to pray at times? And it kind of feels like your prayers aren't getting through. Maybe you'd like to just yell out to God and say, Oh God, I want you to hear me. I want you to listen to my prayers. I want things to come through. You're looking around. You're seeing wicked people around you seeming to prosper. You're trying to pray that God would intervene, but you hear nothing. This one is for you. Well, good morning and welcome to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. And resistance sometimes could give the idea of just simply uh, defense, but I want to let you know that God's resistance is very offensive. It's what God is doing. He's resisting sin, self, the devil, and the world. He's doing it actively. So not only is there a defense inside of the church and inside his people, but God is actively working against these things, and he calls you and I to join him in his resistance against these things that have come into the world, that have come into the hearts of believers, and trying to destroy them and destroy his church. He wants his church to be victorious once again. And one way for that to happen is in the place of prayer. We are going to be looking in Psalm 4 here this morning. As we continue looking, we've been going through Psalm 1, 2, 3. We've done that. We're looking at Psalm 4 here. We're looking into the prayer life of David, God's anointed. And it seems to be there's there's a lot of uh, agreement with scholars and commentators of old that Psalm 4, though it does not have a heading or title in it that says that this psalm definitely means uh, or is definitely about the time that David was fleeing from Absalom, they agree that it seems to be that that is what's going on. Though the Bible doesn't say definitively, it doesn't do any damage for us to look at this psalm in that light, and it may help us understand a little bit more. But even if it weren't about Absalom, David had many enemies at times trying to take the place God called him to and get into that place, and yet David appeals to God to do something about it. Now, listener, sometimes it seems like maybe God has a certain place for you carved out in his kingdom. He's called you to a certain line of work. Excuse me. He's called you to a certain line of work. He has called you to some place in his kingdom, and it appears to be that all the devils in hell are coming against you, and maybe even people are coming against you. So what do you do about that? Well, I'd like to read through Psalm 4, and we're going to see what did David do. So Psalm 4, to the chief musician on Neganoth, a psalm of David, and it starts this way. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O you sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing? Selah. But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say who will show us any good. Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increase. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. So, here it appears to be that first David cries out and he says, Hear me when I call. Do you think that David thought God had a hearing problem? 
as if maybe David had to shout at the top of his lungs for God to hear him, that God couldn't, the, the auditory waves coming from David's lips somehow weren't reaching the throne in heaven. Do you think that's what David was going through? No. What is happening here in the Hebrew language when he says, hear me when I call, he's essentially saying, listen to me. I've got things to say. I want you to bend your ear low. I want you to be favorable to me. I want you to answer my prayers. I want you to hear me like that when I call. And which one of you believers doesn't want something of that nature inside of their prayer life? Wanting that God would indeed hear, that God would hear from heaven, that God would answer my prayers. We want answered prayers. Otherwise, it seems like we're, we're speaking out into the void of nothingness, and maybe there's a God out there or not. But you and I as believers, we know that there is a God in heaven, and we are calling unto him because we have an earnest desire in our heart, which is aligned with his purposes, and we want him to come through on behalf of our prayers for the glory of his kingdom and however we fit in all of that. So he says, hear me when I call. You can say that. Oh God, hear me when I'm praying to you. Answer me. Oh God of my righteousness. Now it's God that's made us righteous. If we've repented of our sins, if we've surrendered to him, he has done a true work in us. We are not the same people we used to be. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We are new creatures in Christ. He is the God of my righteousness. The reason that I am righteous today is because of the power of God in my life. And this is the appeal that David has. Oh God, answer me when I'm praying, when I call out to you. Oh God of my righteousness, the only appeal that I have to come to you is that you have made me a different person. You have made me righteous. It's, it's all you, Lord, and I'm coming to you. I want you to answer me. He said, thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. So he's saying in the past when I've had a lot of troubles and difficulties that have happened, you've enlarged me when I've been in distress. You have not only just helped me get through it, you have enlarged me. You have made me a better person. You have given me more blessing than what I originally was thinking or even asking for. And when I was in distress, you did this for me. And he's saying, now today, Lord, would you have mercy upon me? Would you hear my prayer today? And that's the appeal. We know that God's disposition is that he's merciful and we want him to be merciful to us because we may have many failings or shortcomings in our life. And I'm not talking about living a life of sin if we're a Christian. I'm just saying there are things I don't understand because of my faulty understanding. I may not be doing things absolutely 100% correct, though my heart may be perfect before God. My head may be a mess and that may cause me to do things in certain ways that perhaps God would try to get a hold of me on. So if I was coming to God by my own merits, there's not a whole lot I've got. Uh, to appeal to because I feel the deficit in myself. I feel like, oh Lord, there's still so much I don't know and understand. And yet we're not making that appeal. We're saying, Lord, have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. I need your help so desperately, oh Lord, would you help me? And then David turns to people, his persecutors. And he says, oh, you sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame. How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing or falsehood? And then he says, Selah, calmly think of that, meditate on that. So he's turning to the sons of men. And if we are to take this in the setting of Absalom's uh, revolt against David and usurping his throne, then he's turning to, to Absalom, to all of Absalom's helpers, even Ahithophel, which was David's counselor. He's saying, oh, you sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? What glory is David talking about except the glory of his kingship, the honor that God has given to David because he called David to be king? And that, with that honor, he says, how long, you sons of men, 
Will you turn my glory, the glory and honor that God has given me, into shame? How long will you do this? How long will you fight in war against God? And then he says, how long will you love vanity, emptiness, ridiculousness, and seek after falsehood? How are you going to lie? How are you going to somehow war against God and get in a place that God didn't call you to? David was very sure God called him to be king. And you know, listener, we can be very sure God has called us into some certain line of work that God has given us some measure of authority in his kingdom, and it's not proud and boastful. There are people that are proud and boastful about that, some self-proclaimed prophets. I'm not talking about that. David knew he was called to be king, and he says to these guys, how long are you going to turn that honor God has given me into shame, and how long are you going to seek after some empty, vain pursuit and, and just with falsehood and lying to do these things? This is what he's saying to these men, but it seems like he's saying it to God in prayer, like, oh, how long is this going to happen, Lord? But then it's like he's encouraging himself in the Lord when we get to verse 3. He says, but know that the Lord, the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. So in other words, though it looks like evil is prevailing and though it looks like these people, Absalom and all of his, his buddies, are going to usurp this throne and take it from my hand, oh, God has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. So when these people that are doing wickedly are trying to go against God's call in David's life and trying to twist and turn everything upside down, David's confidence is he's going to hear me because I walk with him. I'm one of the godly. He's going to hear me when I call into him, but he's not going to hear them. So I've got God and his power on my side. And dear listener, that's the same for you. Though wickedness looks like it is prevailing around you, maybe in your family, maybe in the workplace, you're being persecuted for righteousness sake, you're walking with God, and yet it seems to be that the the hot breath of hell is coming at you on every side, know this, he set apart him that's godly for himself. God takes personal pleasure in you, and he will hear you when you call unto him, and he will not hear the others. Then he says to these others, stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. It's like he's saying to these persecutors, don't you know who you have to reckon with? Don't you know that you're fighting against God? Stand in awe and don't sin against him. Commune with your own heart upon your your bed. Know who you are. Know what your motives of your heart are doing and be still. Seems like he's saying that to those people that were acting foolishly, but he could even be talking to himself. Some say that this stand in awe and sin not... Uh, the Hebrew actually means what is quoted in Ephesians, that be angry and don't sin. So he's saying to be angry and don't sin. Uh, however, that doesn't seem to fit the context as well. So in other words, we can stand in awe in fear and in grief and in anger. It can mean all those different things, according to the Hebrew, and commune with our heart upon our bed and be still. Let God speak into the situation. Let God have the rule over the situation. Then he says, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. So that's what we need to do. We need to offer the sacrifices of righteousness. In other words, we need to lay our our lives down as a living sacrifice. Let Christ dwell in us and change us and make us new people and not react in the way that the world around us reacts and act wickedly and, and then just wear the badge of Christianity upon us, but actually and literally be a Christian. Let God make us righteous. And he says to those that are persecuting the church, he says, you should offer the sacrifice of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Not in your schemes, not in your plannings, but in the Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, who you're going to bow at his feet one day. This is the confidence David has in the place of prayer. And there be many that say who will show us any good. Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. 
So he's saying there's a, there's a world around us that's mocking the church, that's mocking God's saints as they cry out to him and they're looking for help from God Almighty. It appears like God's answer hasn't come when the world thinks the answer has come. And sometimes you feel like you're in that dark place and you don't know, Lord, where are you? You're not coming through. Won't you hear my prayers? Won't you answer me? And he says, there'll be many that say, who will show us any good? Who's going to show you any good, saints? Who's going to do anything good for you? And he says, Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Oh, God, in spite of all of that, in spite of all these people that are saying that you're not going to come through for us, he's saying, oh, Lord, show the light of your countenance upon us. Prove them wrong. And Lord, even calm the doubts that are coming into our own minds and hearts because of all this craziness that's around us. Oh, God, prove these people wrong. Come come to our aid, oh, God. And then he says, you know, the testimony is this. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. So he could look around and see the persecutors and all that, and it looks like, you know, the abundance of their grain and their crops and everything is coming through. They're in such gladness, and he's saying, the gladness that God puts in my heart is going to be far more than the gladness that they got from their abundance here. There is a deep gladness that comes in the heart, knowing that you are right with God. You are walking in the light of God. You are obedient to him. Your conscience doesn't accuse you and you're walking with God. He says that gladness that God put in my heart is more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. The gladness of God far exceeds the gladness of these material joys that these people have. And this may be their only reward and blessing, these persecutors, these haters of God. This may be all that they get here in this life. But I have a joy that starts now and lasts on for eternity. And we know the end of Absalom was that he was slain. He was slain for his wickedness. And the judgment was from Joab. Joab killed him, even though David told him not to. God allowed it all to happen, and it fell upon Absalom's own head. But the gladness of God was in the heart of David in the midst of such sore trials. And that can be your testimony. His gladness can be in your heart. He said, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only... Makest me dwell in safety. What an insane thing for somebody to say. In the midst of all the turmoil and darkness and trouble that David was facing, he said, I'm going to lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only maketh me dwell in safety. So David could lay his head down at night because he poured his heart out to God and he knew God was going to come through and that can be yours as well. Your next step is to call 570-362-7782. Call me. I'd love to talk with you over the phone or if you're local, I'd love to meet with you. Also visit godsresistance.com and at God's Resistance Press on YouTube for more. And be on the lookout for a meeting place in downtown Wilkes-Barre coming soon.